0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It truly is a joy to be with you another Thursday evening. And as you know, if you are a faithful listener to Seeds of Truth, we have shifted our Thursday evenings to focus in on special topics that are tailored to your questions. And by that, I mean any question you have (laughs) about the Christian and Catholic faith. And as I noted yesterday, we are going to take up the question are you saved? Or how are we saved? I don't know if there is any one greater question <laughs> than that question, because it deals with the most important truth of our faith, salvation. So certainly this is something we should talk about. Now what's important for us to understand as it relates to some of these apologetic questions is that behind every soundbite answer, is a much deeper truth that concerns your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is something to be said about this question that gets to the heart of it, and hopefully by the end of this program, you will know why if you don't already, because in the end, salvation is a question about relationship. Now, what I thought we could do to get us going is go to Paul's letter to the Philippians, and one of those overarching passages that really gets to the heart of the question of, are you saved? And this will take us to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Wow, those are some rich verses, my friends. Did you catch verse 12? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here it is, my friends. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what could possibly be meant by Paul when he uses this phrase, work out your own salvation? Well, he's telling us to make continued efforts at living the gospel and pursuing your heavenly reward, right? Now, I read verses 1 to 11, because we should appreciate that the statement in so many ways assumes that while our initial salvation had nothing to do with our works, not only Philippians 2 verses 1 to 11, but also we can go to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 9 for that, but also our final salvation and how it depends on a lifetime of keeping the faith. And so how do we do this? but by following the commandments. Persevering in good works, as Paul says in his letter to Rome, chapter 2, verse 7. Striving for holiness, as Hebrew says in chapter 12, verse 14. Praying in earnest. First Thessalonians 5, verse 17. What is that verse? Pray without ceasing. Let your prayer be constant. Let it never stop. And of course, We work out our salvation by fighting against the forces of the adversary and the selfish demands of the flesh, which drag us down. This obligation, my friends, is so serious that we pursue it, how? With fear and trembling, with that sense of awe at serving the living God and and a sense of dread at the prospect of sinning against him. Encouragement for us comes in the next verse where Paul reminds readers that God's grace is working actively within them, huh? Both to desire, there he's speaking to the intention, our intention, and the doing, the acting, right? And this, of course, is what pleases him. So, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How important is that? So, yes, in the sacrament of baptism, we are ransomed from sin. Our relationship with God is restored, and in that sense, yes, we are saved. But my dear friends, we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Speaking of baptism, what is that great exhortation from Saint Paul that comes to us from Romans chapter 8, verse 15? You are not slaves where you are called to draw back in fear, but no, sons, sons in God, in which you cry, Abba, Father. Isn't it interesting that this grace we have received in baptism, that grace that was given to us where we became sons in the Son or daughters in the Son, is a gift that is actually a cry, a cry where we are called to invoke the presence of the Father. I find that striking because when you go back to Philippians 2, verse 12, what do we read? We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says in his epistle to Rome, you have not received the spirit of slavery in which you fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption in which you cry, Abba, Father. How important is that? So when I'm asked the question, are you saved? I simply say something that I'm working out every day (laughs) in fear and trembling. We have to remember, my friends, I know the the statement that surrounds this question is that we are saved by uh, solo fide, faith alone, but we have to remember that faith without works is dead. What does James chapter 2 verse 17 say? Faith without works is dead. Dead! These are pretty straightforward points, but points we need to think about critically. And think about in the context of this larger question of, are you saved? Now, off the top, I made the point, it's one thing to respond to an apologetic question, but it's another thing to really get underneath it and ask more probing questions. For me, my probing question is, what is salvation all about? Well, what does the word salvation mean? Well, it comes from the Greek soteria, which means healing. and You can add there also salvatio in the Latin, which means uh, to restore to health. What did I just say about baptism? Baptism essentially restores our relationship with God, restores our health with God. Now, to talk about health and healing, I made to reflect upon a story in I know here on Seeds of Truth, I I could probably do a better job about telling more stories, (laughs) okay? I want to take this time to tell a story, and if you're listening to this radio program in your car, I'm not going to tell you to close your eyes and just let the words from this story resonate with you, because that would be very imprudent, but if you're at home, close your eyes and enter into what I believe to be an invaluable story, and this is a story that Um, Originally came to us from Matthew Kelly's work, Rediscovering Catholicism. And it's a story that really captures what lies at the heart of that overarching subject matter for us this evening salvation. Imagine this. You're driving home from work next Monday after a long day. You tune in your radio. You hear a blurb about a little village in India where some villagers have died suddenly. Strangely, of a flu that has never been seen before. It's not influenza, but three or four people are dead, and it's kind of interesting, and they are sending some doctors over there to investigate it. You don't think much about it, but coming home from church on Sunday, you hear another radio spot. Only they say it's not three villagers, it's 30,000 villagers. 30,000 villagers. the back hills of this particular area of India. And it's on TV that night. CNN runs a little blurb. People are heading there from the disease center in Atlanta because this disease strain has never been seen before. By Monday morning, when you get up, it's the lead story. It's just not India. It's Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. And before you know it, you're hearing the story everywhere and now they have coined it as the mystery flu. The president has made some comment that he and his family are are praying and hoping that all will go well over there. But everyone is wondering, how are we going to contain this? That's when the president of France makes an announcement that shocks Europe. He is closing their borders. No flights from India, Pakistan, or any of the countries where this thing has been seen. And that's why that night you are watching a little bit of CNN before going to bed. Your jaw hits your chest when a weeping woman is translated into English from a French news program. There, a man is lying in a hospital in Paris, dying of the mystery flu. It has come to Europe. Panic strikes. As best they can tell after contracting the disease, you have it for a week before you even know it. Then you have four days of unbelievable symptoms, and then you die. Britain closes its borders, but it's too late. Southampton, Liverpool, Northampton. And it's Tuesday morning when the President of the United States makes the following announcement. Due to a national security risk, California, Oregon, Arizona, Florida, Massachusetts. It's as though it's just sweeping in from the borders. And then, all of a sudden, the news comes out. The code has been broken. A cure can be found. A vaccine can be made. It's going to take the blood of somebody who hasn't been infected. And so, sure enough, all through the Midwest, through all those channels of emergency broadcasting, everyone is asked to do one simple thing. Go to your downtown hospital and have your blood analyzed. That's all we ask of you. When you hear the sirens go off in your neighborhood, please make your way quickly, quickly, and safely to the hospitals. Sure enough, when you and your family get down there on late Friday night, there's a long line. And they've got nurses and doctors coming out and pricking fingers and taking blood and and putting labels on it. Your spouse and your kids are out there, and they take your blood and say, Wait here in the parking lot, and if we call your name, you can be dismissed and go home. You stand around, scared with your neighbors, wondering what on earth is going on. Is this the end of the world? Suddenly, a young man comes running out of the hospital, screaming. He's yelling a name and and waving a clipboard. And your son tugs on your jacket and says, Daddy, that's me. Before you know it, they have grabbed your boy. Wait a minute. Hold on. And they say, it's okay. His blood is clean. His blood is pure. We want to make sure he doesn't have the disease. We think he has the right blood type. Five very tense minutes later, out come the doctors and nurses. They're crying and hugging one another. Some are even laughing. It's the first time you've seen anybody laugh in over a week. An old doctor walks up to you and says, "Thank you, sir. Your son's blood is perfect. It's clean, it's pure, and now we can make the vaccine." As the word begins to spread all across that parking lot full of folks, people are screaming and praying and laughing and crying. But then the gray-haired doctor pulls you and your wife aside and says, "May we see you for a moment? We didn't realize that the donor would be a minor." We need you to sign a consent form. You begin to sign, and then you see that the box for the number of pints of blood to be taken is empty. How, how, how many pints? And that is when the old doctor's smile fades, and he says to you, We had no idea it would be a little child. We weren't prepared. We need it all. But, but I don't understand. He's my only son. The doctor responds, we are talking about the world here. Please, please sign. We need to hurry. And you respond, but can't you give him a transfusion? If we had clean blood, we would. Please, will you sign? You pause, and in numb silence, you sign. And then they say, would you like to have a moment with him before we begin? My dear friends, consider this story in the context of the overarching truth of salvation. That God sent His only Son, and His Son, Jesus Christ, gave man everything to cure the virus of sin. You know, the question has been posed if our Lord's blood saves the world, well, why not just one drop of blood? Well, my dear friends, if there are five and a half to six quarts of human blood, then for the God-man, Jesus Christ, he had five and a half to six quarts of human blood to give. He must give everything because God's love is absolute. It is unconditional. It is salvific. Salvific love, salvific blood. So again, what is this virus? sin, my friends. Sin, properly defined, is is disobedience that leads to the breaking of the Father's heart. This sin, this disobedience, leads to an alienation from God. We are the sin-sick soul, my friends, that needs healing. Remember what the word salvation means in the Greek, soteria, healing, that healing balm that we might be salvatio, restore. Don't we get an English word from that? Save, saviour. Jesus Christ is our saviour. He heals us. He restores us to health. And he does so in and through the Paschal Mystery. The Paschal Mystery. Why does God need the crucifixion to affect salvation? This is a, a question I heard responded to recently by a a bishop down south. And he made the point, that most invaluable point, that God needed the crucifixion because, in essence, God goes into the deepest point of man's sickness. All of the physical suffering, all of the alienation, all of the absolute torment, this is what he passes through. And in so doing, he what? He restores us. Christ, my friends, entered fully into our humanity. To what? Divinize our humanity. Divinize our humanity. What is that great passage that comes to us from Romans chapter 5, verses 12, 13, 14, where Paul is talking about how Christ is a new Adam? Where in a garden thousands of years ago, a man was silent and a tree in the garden was the instrumental cause in the loss of grace fast forward back to the time of Christ and now you have a new man a new Adam who is no longer silent but crying out to his father and he takes that tree from which thousands of years ago an apple hung and he carries it on his back and in doing so He restores us. He regenerates us. The sacrament of baptism is also called the sacrament of what? The sacrament of regeneration. Through baptism, my friends, as the Catechism, paragraph 1213, reminds us, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, incorporated into the church, and made shares in Christ's mission, in in the church's mission. In this sense, baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water and in word. That sacrament, my friends, that draws us into the very life and love that gives us the strength and grace necessary to do what? But to live out our vocation, to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Amen to that. You know, the question about are you saved and and this discussion about salvation has me thinking about the phrase salvation history. I just spoke of Adam and Christ. Now Christ is the new Adam. Brothers and sisters, we are made to appreciate how Christ is the fulfillment of all Old Testament scripture, the fulfillment of all of the prophetic thrust of the Old Testament, how he just doesn't fulfill but at once transforms, and how he gives us a share in that very transformation. What do I mean? Brothers and sisters, we are co-workers in building up the kingdom of God. What did I talk about last week in response to that one question? In the light of 1 Timothy 2.5, there's only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. Well, there's only one mediator, Joe. Why the saints? Why Mary? Well, (laughs) What were the previous four verses? Paul urging all of us to pray fervently, to intercede on behalf of one another and for one another, and that this actually brings about a peaceable life. We share in the one mediation of Jesus Christ, mindful that in his grace and in his love, we are co-workers who build up the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. You know, you know, I just touched upon the cross. Well, should we not speak to the importance of sacrifice and the one sacrifice of Christ? The word sacrifice comes from the Latin secum which literally translates to make holy. We are holy to the extent that we share in the one holiness of Christ. And we do this in fear and trembling, working out our salvation. You know as I'm touching upon the sacrament of baptism, I should say something else about the sacraments in general. We are embodied souls, so we encounter God in the light of what? Matter and spirit. Look at the sacramental life. You have just not words, but words that are accompanied with matter, oil, water, bread, wine, matter that has been transformed under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the sacramental life. So the sacraments are the means by which we enter into the divine life. I just spoke to baptism. What about confirmation? What about the Eucharist? Take a careful look at all seven sacraments, my friends. They are the means by which we enter the divine life. They are the means by which we receive grace, the grace that is necessary so that we might have the strength to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Brothers and sisters, all throughout Paul's epistles are we called to work out our salvation. Every time Paul calls us to holiness, what is he calling us to do? Oh, my dear friends, He's calling us to be set apart. He's calling us to live a life of what? Sacrum fice, sacrifice. He's calling us to live a life of love, self-sacrificial love. And this is what the Christian life is about, that our faith is caught up in love. Faith saves, yes. But what does faith itself mean? So often we think about faith as this belief in God, and and yes, to some extent it is, or maybe we reduce it to a belief in some impersonal magnetic abstract force, but it's so much more than that because in the end, the word that we actually see in the Old Testament is just not faith, but faithfulness. In fact, you rarely see the word faith, but you see faithfulness. The Hebrew word is emunah, faithfulness, firm response. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 1.5 and in Romans 16.26. He bookends his epistle to Rome with this obedience of faith. That's the phrase he uses. Well, what is the obedience of faith? You translate that in the Greek, it better translates as the obedience that is faith or the obedience that springs from faith. He's translating, that is St. Paul, the Old Testament vision of faithfulness which is the firm response. Why is this so important? Because what does the word obedience mean? Ob adire, to listen. How can we possibly respond to the God who is love if we are not listening? You see what's going on here, my friends? Faith itself is about prayer and relationship with God. How can we now see the larger and broader spectrum of faith? but one that always needs to be caught up in the act of love, right? I mean, if I were to go home this evening and my wife greets me, we share pleasantries, and I say to her, I love you, and then I proceed to kick up my feet and do nothing for the subsequent four, or five, or six hours, how am I showing my wife that I love her? She'll probably have a thing or two to say to me, right? No, if I love my wife, I will be at the service of my wife as much as possible. Are you saved, you ask me? (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And by the grace of God go I, that I might increase in my faith, that I might increase in my love for God, and that my love for God might bring him glory, and in his grace, and in his goodness, that he might draw more people unto him. Amen. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to reflect into this all important question Are you saved? How are we saved? Lord, your love is extravagant, it is paralyzing sometimes. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of yourself in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, The website is joeholcraft.org.